All right, guys. It is uh, exciting for me to have the opportunity to preach God's word to you all this morning. And I've just been thinking about this perspective on suffering this week and kind of this image from when I was a kid came to my mind. And I was thinking about when I would go outside and play and my mom has this saying that dynamite comes in small packages. And my mom's like five, two, but she's just a powerhouse of a person. And, and one of the evidences of that is my mom is one of those people who can stick her fingers in her mouth and whistle louder than anyone that I've ever met. And so I had these memories of playing outside in the yard as a kid. And my mom would come outside and just blow the whistle and, and the shrill in your ear. I mean, I, I can hear it even as I'm talking, but I can just hear what it sounded like. And, and I hated that sound, but then immediately I would remember there's a pot roast and potatoes on the table. It's time for dinner. And so the shrill reminded me that it was time to go home and eat with my family. And I think what God is trying to do in this suffering for our church is he's sent us into this time where he has our attention. And this coronavirus and this quarantine, it's like that whistle. And God, what he's doing in our lives is he's being incredibly kind to us. He's actually just calling us to come home. And the word that the Bible uses for God calling us to come home is repentance. And I really just got a simple message for us from Psalm 30 this morning. And it's that God's kindness leads us to repentance. He uses whatever he can in our lives. And sometimes it's painful, but his heart for us in it is to call us back to him. He just wants relationship with you, whether you've never had relationship with him before and you've been far from God, or you've actually been close to God, he wants all of us to draw near to him in repentance. And so what I saw in the text was three ways that God wants to lead us into repentance while he has our attention. He's got our attention right now. He wants to call us into repentance. And the first way that he wants to call us into repentance is he simply wants us to remember. Again, we're in Psalm 30, and we're looking at the first five verses to start. So it says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And so what we see in, in the passage is that David is remembering. He's remembering all that God has done for him. And this is after, we find out later in the psalm, this is after a time where there's been relational distance between David and God because of David's sin. So David had been bitter 
But now he's reminded that God has all that he needs. And so he remembers a few different things. He remembers how God has given him victory over his enemies. He remembers how God has healed him from various sicknesses and diseases. And probably most importantly, he remembers how God has brought up his soul from Sheol. So Sheol was the grave. So he's remembering that God is his salvation. So we think of these different events in David's life that are well known, like he's probably remembering when he took that smooth stone out of the creek and he, and he put it in his, in his slingshot and he shot it at Goliath and killed him and saw Goliath fall before him. And he's remembering at different times in his life when he was severely sick and afflicted and, and God healed him. And he's, he's remembering time after time when he was in trouble and he cried out to God and God came and helped him and, and rescued him and, and drew his soul from a place of depression to a place of rejoicing. And he's just, he's remembering all of these things. And, and basically then he makes this summary statement as he remembers about what life is like. And he says, anger, God's anger, his discipline is for a moment but his favor is for a lifetime. So the vast majority of our experience in life is experiencing the favor and the delight of God. Occasionally there's some anger that we experience from God. He also says we might experience weeping, but weeping is not the main experience of our life. Joy is the main experience of our life as Christians. This is temporary, like the weeping, the anger, it's temporary. The main experience for us as believers in Jesus is joy. It's delight. But what happens in our relationship with God when we fail to remember what he's done is our hearts, instead of being filled with delight, are filled with bitterness. And here's what's true of bitterness. If you have bitterness in your heart against God, you don't see him rightly. You're not understanding your life circumstances rightly. You're not understanding your life rightly as a whole. So some of you, like me, have experienced bitterness in relationships with people other than God. And so one person that for a stretch I struggled with bitterness against was my dad. And my dad and I have talked about that even recently. And for both of us, that was an incredibly painful time. And my dad has said, he felt like during that time where I was bitter against him, there was just nothing that he could do. He, he just felt completely helpless. And I, as I look back at that period of bitterness, what makes me really sad is that although my dad had some flaws and, and sinned against me in certain ways, for the most part, he's a great dad. But what bitterness did in my soul is it caused me to go all bad on my dad. And what bitterness does is it actually causes you to not be able to see your relationships rightly. Now, here's the difference between the bitterness that I had against my dad and the bitterness that we often struggle with against God is God never does anything wrong. So our bitterness is always unfounded. The truth is 
that God has treated us perfectly. He has been an amazing heavenly father. And everything that's happened in our lives has been filtered through his goodness, and he's treated us with kindness, which means if we look back on our lives with anything but thankfulness, it's because we're not remembering what has happened rightly. So here's my encouragement to you during this time as part of the repentance of your soul is to remember. And for me, this takes a really simple form often. I'll just take out a journal and I'll just write things that I'm thankful for at the top of the page. And then I just begin to list them. And at first, if I'm struggling with bitterness, it's hard to get those things out. I'll, I'll have trouble with the first three or so. But by the time I get to the first three, what begins to happen is those things begin to roll off my pen onto the page. And my heart begins to warm. And, and what begins to actually happen is I begin to feel just the weight of how wrong my perspective has been. And I begin to see that bitterness and unthankfulness has clouded my vision of seeing reality as it is. If we would remember how God has saved us what our lives were like before we knew Jesus and how lost we were and how miserable we were, wouldn't our hearts fill with thankfulness? If we would remember all the blessings that God has brought into our life, even what we have in our life right now, we would just remember that those things are given to us by God. Wouldn't our hearts be, be filled with thankfulness? So it's not enough though, just to remember, okay? Not, not just to remember what God has done and, and who he has been, we also need to recognize, that's the second thing, to recognize. And that's because we've sinned deeply against God. It's not just that we've lacked thankfulness or we haven't remembered what he's done in our lives. We also have sinned against him. And that's what David recognizes here. Starting with verse 6, we're going to read to verse 10. It says, as for me... I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. Oh, Lord, be my helper. Okay, so are you ready for David's deep, dark, hidden sin that this whole psalm is repenting of? Here's a sin. He said, in his prosperity, I shall never be moved. Now, I don't think that the picture here is that David had like a balcony off of his bedroom and he would go out every morning with his shirt off and say, I shall never be moved and pound his chest. I don't think that he was socially awkward enough to be that guy. I think what he's actually recognizing in his own life 
is a deep heart attitude. So some of us, we can relate to, like in Psalm 51, after David has killed somebody and committed adultery, done something that we obviously recognize is wrong, we can say, oh yeah, he definitely should have repented of that sin. But when we look at this, we're like, wait, what's the sin again? Why, why is it wrong to say, I shall never be moved? What's the big deal about that? Why is he writing this song? And we get a picture into why when we see the next verse, where David says, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. So mountain there is referring to David's kingdom. The reason that for him to say, I'll never be moved, was so deeply sinful is because everything that he had was from God. All of his prosperity was not because he had worked so hard and been more diligent than everyone else. His success wasn't the work of his hands. His success was actually a gift from a benevolent creator. And so in saying, I am a self-made man, what he was actually saying was, hey, God, I don't need you. And what we get here in David's confession is we get the root of every one of our sins. What sin says is God I don't really need you. What I need is pornography. What I need is more money. What I need is a better job. What I need is to get out of this suffering. What I need is what I think I need. And I don't really need you because I'm good on my own. And in prosperity, what we tend to do is we tend to become self-reliant, which is why it is such a grace of God for him to bring different types of suffering into our lives, like he has in this circumstance. And so this is God's response. David says, I shall never be moved. And here's what God does. He hides his face. Okay, immediately when I saw that, says, David says, you hid your face and I was dismayed. Do you know what I thought of? I thought of playing peekaboo with my kids. And you know what's hilarious? I, I remember reading this in some literature that the reason peekaboo works so well with a certain age of kid is because when you hide your face, they actually think that you're gone. They actually think you're gone in that moment because at that age, you hide your face. They're like, he's completely gone. And here's what happens with David. He thinks I'm a successful self-made man. Here's what God does. He hides his face. And what does David say? You hid your face. I was dismayed. In other words, all it takes 
is for God to hide his face from us and we are undone. And that's because God is the source of every good thing that we have. So to say to God, I shall never be moved. I don't need you. I'm successful on my own. I want to have it my way. I want to do it my way. To say, I don't need you, God, is to say, I don't need anything good in my life. I can take care of it myself. Was, is why even a statement like that in our hearts is so evil. And what a time like this reveals to us is all of the things that we've been relying on other than God to meet our needs. And it's so kind of him to take away all of those crutches so that we lean on him alone and find satisfaction. So here's what you have the opportunity to do. If, if you'll just recognize the subtle and more significant sins in your life during this time, is you have the opportunity to run back to God. See, this is the goal. God's calling us into this repentance, which kind of sounds like a bad word. He's calling us into this repentance because he actually wants to call us back to himself. So here's what we're gonna see to close out the Psalm. We're gonna see that the end of repentance is that we would rejoice. See, if we would stop complaining, stop grumbling, we would accept the circumstances that we're in, and we would just pursue God with all of our heart, we would begin to rejoice. And that's what happens in David's heart. Verses 11 and 12, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So David gives one of the reasons in this passage that God disciplines us and brings suffering into our lives. It's because he wants to turn our mourning into dancing. There's a purpose for the mourning. The purpose of the sadness is that God wants to bring us into a deeper experience of his goodness. And David's experiencing that, and he gets it. Hindsight's 20-20, right? He's able to look back at the suffering and say, I see what you were doing. You wanted me to rejoice. You wanted me to be glad. You wanted me to be happy. And so God wants us to be brought into this experience of gladness. And then he says, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. And that word glory, it literally means my whole being. And so here's what we are. We're half-hearted people. We've given God different parts of our heart, but we've refused to give him others. And what God's doing in the suffering is he's calling us into more of a wholehearted devotion to him. He wants all of you because he wants you to know him 
as the supreme joy and treasure of your heart. He wants you to enjoy him, to be glad, to dance, to let loose, and to enjoy. And one of the greatest evidences in a circumstance like this, that your joy is rooted in God, is that you can actually sit down in the middle of the circumstance that you're in, when there's a lot of things that you don't like, there's a lot of things that you're unhappy with, and you can just rebel against the spirit of this age by rejoicing. You can just say, you know what? I don't need to go out to restaurants. I don't need to go to sporting events. I don't need to see all my friends. I don't need to have this ideal wedding. I don't need that. All that I need is God. And because I've got all that you need, you know how that is. When you feel like you have all that you need, then your heart gets full and you just rejoice. I was thinking about this and I was reminded of just this amazing example of this. And so I want to read you kind of a longer quote from this book called The Hiding Place. And the stage that this is set up on is that these two women, Betsy and Corey Tinboom, are in a concentration camp. And they're finding a way, even in that circumstance, to rejoice in God. So this is a little bit of a long quote, but I think that it is worth reading to you. So this is written from Corey's perspective. She says, we lay back, <clears throat> struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. Suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. Here, and here another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us, show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer before we ask, as he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians. I said, we were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving Schabengren. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed written expressively to Ravensbrook. Go on, I said, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord. And there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all of these women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here, since we're packed so close that many more will hear the Bible. She looked at me expectantly. Cordy, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jam, cram, stuff, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you. Betsy went on serenely. And for the fleas. The fleas? This was too much. 
Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between tiers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. Back at the barracks, we formed yet another line. Would there never be an end to columns and weights to receive our ladle of turnip soup in the center room? Then as quickly as we could for the press of people, Betsy and I made our way to the rear of the dormitory room where we held our worship service. Around our own platform area, there was not enough light to read the Bible, but back here, a small light bulb cast a yellow circle on the wall, and here, an even larger group of women gathered. There were ser they were services like no other, these times in Barracks 28. At first, Betsy and I called these meetings with great timidity, but as night after night went by and no guard ever came near us, we grew bolder. So many now wanted to join us that we held a second service that evening after roll call. There on the Lagenstrasse, we were under rigid surveillance, guards in their warm wool capes, marching constantly up and down. It was the same in the center room of the barracks, half a dozen guards or camp police always present. Yet in the large dormitory room, there was almost no supervision at all. We did not understand it. One evening, I got back to the barracks late from a wood gathering foray outside the walls. A light snow lay on the ground and it was hard to find the sticks and twigs with which a small stove was kept going in each room. Betsy was waiting for me as always so that we could wait through the food line together. Her, her eyes were tw twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. You know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, she said. Well, I found out. That afternoon, she said, There'd been confusion in her dating group about sock sizes, and they'd asked the supervisor to come in and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice. Because of the fleas. That's what she said. That place is crawling with fleas. My mind rushed back to our first hour in this place. I remembered Betsy's bowed head, remembered her thanks to God, for creatures that I could see no use for. I think some of us, we might feel that way right now. Like, what's the purpose of this circumstance? Why are we here? But we have this awesome opportunity, like Betsy and Corey did, to sit down in the middle of the place where, where we are, to be thankful for every person that's in the room with us, to be thankful for every circumstance that we find ourselves in because we have this amazing opportunity to rejoice. We have God and he is all that we need and he is infinitely good to us. And we have this opportunity to get to know him maybe better than we ever had. And I just wanna invite you into that. I wanna call you into that. I wanna say, take the opportunity to go on walks with him open up his word and hear from him, talk to him, sing to him, give your whole being to him and don't waste this amazing time when life has slowed down to get to know him. And let's be thankful together. And what's the ultimate reason that we would do this? We talk about this every week at Salt City. See, the ultimate reason we would give our whole being to God 
is because Jesus gave his whole being to us on the cross. Remember Jesus on the cross? There were no half measures there. He didn't hold anything back. He gave himself fully for us. And why did he give himself fully for us? He gave himself fully for us so that we can enjoy relationship with God forever. So I invite you into that relationship, whether you've never known God before or you've known him for a long time, I invite you back. Let's enter back into this time of rejoicing. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you've met us here this morning. Thank you that you are present in each person's house as they listen to your word, as they listen to this message. And God, we choose to rejoice. We choose to say thank you. God, thank you that we are quarantined in our houses right now. Thank you that we can't go to restaurants and that we can't go to sporting events and that we can't even go into work. Thank you that you have reserved this time for us that we can worship, that we can get to know you. God, would you change our perspective? Would you help us to remember that you are kind, that you are good, and that you want us to have fullness of joy? And so you've invited us into this time, this unique time in history, so that we can find relationship with you to be satisfying. In Jesus' name, amen.